Hayden Denau joins us now for Midweek Media Watch. Kia ora, Hayden. How are you doing? Kia ora, Brian. I'm okay, thank you. You wanted to talk about the media's coverage or the way we deal with some of the leading figures in the whole COVID coverage, um, people like Dr. Ashley Bloomfield. Yeah, I'll talk specifically about Dr. Ashley Bloomfield because I just noted that there's a little bit of a pushback happening at the moment to the deification of Dr. Ashley. And so I'll, I'll start by saying, I mean, Ashley, Dr. Ashley Bloomfield has absolutely earned his cult hero status during the pandemic. You know, he's ably fronted the daily briefings on COVID-19. I think he worked so many days in a row at the start of the pandemic that it actually made national news when he took a day off. You know, he'll often remember stats to the decimal point. He'll be asked about a far-flung case and sort of bluff of COVID-19. and He'll recall the exact details. You know, he's been excellent. But some media recently have been noting a little bit of a gap between the adulation and praise that is directed towards Dr. Bloomfield and the actual performance of the Ministry of Health that he heads up in certain circumstances. Yeah, which some of which has been on the news tonight. Yeah, so I mean, one of the prime uh, anti-Ashley antagonists is News Hub's Michael Mora, and he's he's done actually a few stories t- today. I mean, he he did one this morning noting a dead discrepancy between an assurance made by Dr. Bloomfield about uh, PPE not being reused, and it actually was being reused in a couple of DHBs. Uh, there are stories at the moment as well about health workers being threatened with being fired because they're speaking out about the PPE situation. And there have been uh, journalists, I think, on Twitter all evening just talking about how hard it is to deal with the Ministry of Health and DHBs in particular, just how how tough it is to extract information out of them. And we're seeing Dr. Bloomford, I guess, up at these one prem presses doing an excellent job, but it actually kind of obscures a bit of a culture or, or, or a poor culture of communication in the health system as a whole. Uh, the issue is this probably doesn't sit well with the public, which is actually really supportive of the government's efforts and the Ministry of Health's efforts to prevent the pandemic, and that's justifiable because we have excellent, you know, our, our COVID-19 statistics are the envy of the world. You know, Jacinda Ardern is getting profiled in the Atlantic and glowing coverage. And so this sort of tough scrutiny that the, some of the media are turning on to Dr. Bloomfield, it probably doesn't sit well. That doesn't necessarily mean it's not the right thing to be doing. And you, you stood up for some of those media those media conferences and complaints about the questions they ask. And I sometimes wonder whether the whole thing of having Ardern and Bloomfield up there and they're taking all the questions from the pack allows them to look presidential um, when yeah. it's when they're not so available for maybe more one-on-one scrutiny or just making some of the facts available to us in a transparent way. You could argue that sometimes we have, it's for example, the protective gear, it's all a bit muddy, isn't it? Yeah. And it's such a compressed time frame and the media is all scrabbling together to get that information out of them and they can look, I guess, a little bit feral and competitive and insistent and urgent and that doesn't come off very well to people. 
so I mean that that's just part of the staging of 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 the theatre of it, which is which is probably in Dr. Bloomfield and, and Ardern's advantage. Uh, uh, Thomas Coughlin of stuff has written though about why it's really crucial for the media to to maintain this antagonistic role that it has here, and that's just because COVID-19 is going to be with us a long time and that we need to keep preparing ourselves to sharpen our response to it so that we don't suffer another outbreak or that we're prepared if another outbreak comes. That's just the basic reason. But, I mean, the second... The second thing that I'd like to note is just if you don't, if you think about, if you think that we shouldn't apply scrutiny to people just because they're up on a podium fronting the media ably, then I'd encourage you to think back to Peter Whittle ah. and the Pike River disaster. I don't <laughs> yeah. know if you remember that, but he was lionised for his performance after that mine exploded, and he sat next to John Key at the National Memorial Service, and people nominated him for New Zealander of the Year, then the Royal Commission came out, and it turned out that he presided over a series of failings. The mine was essentially unsafe. There were catastrophic gas readings that weren't followed up, uh, and profit was prioritised over safety. And so there is a lesson there. You know, you should always wait until all the facts are in until you before you start calling someone a hero. Now, Hayden, I'm really sorry to only leave you but two minutes, but I want to ask you, Australia taxing Google and Facebook in two minutes, yeah. is that significant? <laughs> Does that mean anything to us here in New Zealand? Well, I mean, it's, it, it, maybe not. It, it seems to mean a lot to people over in Australia. So if you don't know what's happening, then Australia is introducing a mandatory code of conduct that would actually force Google and Facebook to pay news companies for using their content. And this is something that I guess news companies have been advocating for for a really long time because Google and Facebook are taking their ad revenue. And I guess to add insult to injury, uh, they are also using – they're not producing any content of their own. They're using commercial media's news content to produce engagement for their sites and then taking the ad money from commercial media. So, I mean, this is something of a late attempt to balance the ledger. Jacinda Ardern has not seemed like she is in any rush to act on it over here, though. And uh, media commentator Gavin Ellis has sort of told her off today in a column for uh, Radio New Zealand. It might have been yesterday. Mm. <laughs> he said that she needs to get over her millennial attitude to social media and uh, start cracking down on the on the big uh, tech giants. I, I take issue with that as a millennial because if anyone's been on Facebook recently, they'll they'll note that it's populated almost entirely with boomers. Oh yeah, it's boomers and late generation Xs. <laughs> but but I it, it does seem odd that the government would be so dismissive of this. It was something that was proposed at the epidemic epidemic response committee last week by Duncan Groove the spin-off, you know, why don't we tax these tech, giant, tech giants and use it to fund journalism? At the moment, the government's looking to bail out journalism organisations. They might be fronting up cash for them. Wouldn't it be better to have a tax like this as a more sustainable way of helping media stay afloat? Yeah. Hayden, thank you very much for joining us again. And um, will you be helping out with Media Watch with Colin on Sunday, very briefly? Uh no, there's no there's no plans at this stage, but I will be putting up a couple of articles later this week. One's on essential workers, and uh, I will be covering the thing that we talked about with Dr. Ashley Bloomfield tomorrow. So uh, check out Media Watch on rnz.co.nz, please. Thanks, Hayden. That's Hayden Denau with our midweek Media Watch.